Hi, everyone, and welcome to the American Ambulance EMS podcast. I'm Dr. Danielle Campaign, American Ambulance's medical director. I'm here with our fantastic co-hosts, Dr. Patil Armenian and Dr. Sajin Bakta. Hello. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about strangulation and hanging. Who serves a million people in the valley? We do. The brave men and women of the double A are the best at what they do in EMS today. The finest place in the world to be is right here as a part of American's family. Help is on the way, got a unit and route. No matter the problem, when in doubt, we send them out. Sure as the sunrise, sure as I bust this rhyme, 10 minutes or less. Every call, every time, this is my career path, this is what I do. The double A's, red, white, and blue. Get your call on. Here comes American. Get your lights on. Here comes American. Get your gurney on. Here comes American. Get your gloves on. Here comes American. Get your save on. As EMS professionals, we need to be ready to handle anything we come across. And so we're going to keep today's discussion very clinical so that you can be ready for your next case. Strangulation is defined as asphyxia. Uh, by closure of the blood vessels and or air passages in the neck due to external pressure. And asphyxia is basically lack of blood flow and oxygen to the brain. There are three main types of strangulation. The first is hanging, and this is when a constricting band is placed around the neck and constricts by gravity using either the entire weight of the body or partial weight of the body. The second form is ligature strangulation which is when a constricting band is placed around the neck and constricts by a force other than gravity. And the last is manual strangulation. This is when a constricting force is applied to the neck by another body part. Strangulation can be performed for recreational purposes. It's a well-known children's game to play the choking game, which involves manual or extrinsic strangulation with the release of the pressure just prior to loss of consciousness. And there's also cases of autoerotic asphyxia. And these actions are thought to cause a high or a sense of euphoria with an estimated mortality of about 250 to 1,000 deaths per year from these practices in the United States. Judicial hangings or hangings from height have a higher prevalence of C-spine injury. Now, hangings, strangulation, and suffocation account for 30% of suicides, 2.5% of homicides, and up to 6% of intimate partner-associate homicides. Up to 68% of domestic violence victims have been strangled by their partners in their lifetime. Up to 47% of domestic violence victims have been strangled in the last year. Assault victims in the emergency department have reported strangulation 23% of the time, 38% of the time during a domestic violence event, and 12% of the time during sexual assault. And up to 50% of those fatal hangings occur in the setting of an incomplete hanging. So this is when they are not completely suspended in the air. So let's go through the pathophysiology, like what's happening during the strangulation or hanging event. And really, depending on the method of the neck compression, severe injury can be caused by a number of factors. These include neurological effect of the compression of the cranial nerves, compression of the veins, compression and direct damage to the arteries and direct trauma to the airway, and more rarely, compression of the brainstem medulla itself, often caused by fracture of the second cervical vertebra. So, Patil, why don't you take us through this neurologic effect? So, there are a lot of different nerves that can be damaged uh, by this type of trauma. Um, So, injury to the pharyngeal or motor branches of the 10th cranial nerve can result in dysphagia, 
or difficulty swallowing. Uh, injury of the recurrent laryngeal nerve causes hoarseness and dysphonia or difficulty in speaking due to paralysis of the vocal cords. Injury of both recurrent laryngeal nerves can cause aphonia, which is a complete loss of voice, and inspiratory strider due to complete vocal cord paralysis. Now, if the ninth cranial nerve is irritated, hypersecretion of saliva occurs, and stimulation of the carotid sinus baroreceptors can cause bradycardia, ventricular arrhythmias, and then later asystole. Unilateral tympanic nerve injury can result in tinnitus or ringing feeling in the ears, and it can also disrupt the periarterial sympathetic plexus, leading to Horner syndrome or oculosympathetic paresis, which is a partial Horner syndrome. So Horner syndrome is this combination of three things, ptosis, meiosis, and anhydrosis. Ptosis is when your uh, upper eyelid is drooping. Meiosis is when your pupils get really small. And anhydrosis is a lack of sweating. All these things together can actually cause a significant amount of distress and discomfort in a patient. Let's talk about the vascular effects. That was when the nerves get compressed. What about the vessels, Sajin? So blood flow obstruction develops when the jugular veins and or the carotid or vertebral arteries are compressed. Just next to the internal jugular vein on the outside of the neck are the carotid arteries. A mass of five kilograms may be sufficient to obstruct the carotid arteries. By contrast, a mass of more than 20 kilograms is required to stop tracheal airflow. To block the stream of the vertebral arteries requires a lot higher weight. The vertebral arteries run along the back of the neck and the base of the skull, and they run through your cervical spine. And so these are often injured when you have a cervical spine injury or you have a lot of neck extension. And the scariest part is that there can be a delay between the initial injury and clot formation. In some studies, up to half the patients first develop signs more than 12 hours from the initial traumatic event. So let's go into the assessment. You know, you get called to a case of a strangulation or a hanging or suspected strangulation or hanging. Patio, can I take us through our assessment? Of course, step one is always going to be to assess the scene and make sure it is safe for you and your fellow pre-hospital providers. Start with the ABCs and intervene as necessary for any immediate threats to the airway. In the early stages of recovery for people who were pulled out of the hanging loop, a ligature mark or traces of it on the neck and localized pain in the neck, head, or back areas may be present. Painful swallowing, hoarseness, strider, drooling, tinnitus, limb numbness, paralysis, convulsions, and cerebral edema due to progressive hypoxia may occur. So now the evidence of the strangulation um, when you're actually assessing a patient will look like either ligature marks or fingerprint marks around someone's neck, bruising, coughing, strider, change in the voice. And I always, um, no matter what, when I'm assessing someone's voice, I always ask people, is this what your voice normally sounds like? It's the first time I'm meeting you. Is this what you sound like? And people will tell you. Other evidence of strangulation on exam looks like facial or subconjunctival petechiae or hemorrhages and laryngeal tenderness. So now a coroner study from fatal hanging patients in Los Angeles County showed certain things. And of course, I will qualify this by saying coroner study means 
dead people. Um, so this is in people who died from these injuries. 92% of them had a cervical lig ligature mark visible on physical exam. Cervical injuries occurred in 8%, which were hyoid bone fractures in 5% and thyroid cartilage fractures in 3%. There were no vertebral column fractures or dislocations and no cerebrovascular injuries following hangings in this specific series. So that same study showed that the most common asphyxia-related phenomenon were either hemorrhagic spots on the white of your eye, followed by cyanosis or blue discoloration of the lips and fingernails. Now, of course, these are in dead people. Um, in the living, you're not going to see these things as often. So you might have somebody that doesn't really have any marks on their necks, doesn't necessarily have cervical injuries, but just know that if they do actually have a mark on their neck, that is pretty indicative of um, this mechanism of trauma. All right, let's go through the history. Um, in addition to the patient's physical exam, you know, the history is really important in these cases. Um, and so it's extremely important to focus on the patient's surroundings. This is especially important when you suspect intimate partner violence or child elder abuse where victims may not understand the danger, may be reluctant to seek medical attention or really implicate their attacker. Be aware and suspicious of the scene. Remember to recognize warning signs of an abusive relationship um, and really keep strangulation on your differential diagnosis. So really remember that half of all these victims will have no visible injuries and something very traumatic might have happened to them and then they might not be wanting to tell you depending on the social circumstances of the scene. So EMS professionals may also encounter instances of strangulation when responding to scenes of street fights, organized combat sports, erotic encounters, or recreational choking games, as we previously mentioned. Similar to victims of intimate partner violence, these patients may not voluntarily share details of their injuries and may not recall events due to loss of consciousness. Children may also suffer strangulation injuries and have special considerations. So children are at increased risk for significant airway compromise secondary to the smaller size of their larynx and laxity of the soft tissues. Neck hematomas or bruises may expand more quickly, so I think you see it more on a kid. And then unusual mechanisms, and I've had a couple of these cases, are like the kid who puts their head out the window and then the window starts going up, and so they're kind of getting strangled by the car window. You'll see it with drapes or blind cords, power cords, even in high chairs, like they start to fall out and they get they get stuck with their neck. Remember, their heads are much bigger than their necks. So these very unusual mechanisms are not always on purpose by the family. So it's not always intentional violence, but kids do get themselves in these interesting situations and you're worried about, you know, an incomplete or a partial strangulation. So often these patients will arrive to the emergency department altered. When you arrive on scene, they might be altered or unable to give you an adequate history. So it's really important to try to collect as much data from the scene as possible um, while expediting your care for the patient. So things to note, um, if you can, in your um, PCR, is is a complete versus incomplete hanging? You know, was all their weight hung on something or were they partially caught and for how long? What material was used in the strangulation? Usually that doesn't come in with them. So you telling us what was going on, the duration of time of strangulation, like how, how long were they under that um, force, external signs of trauma to the face or neck, and what was the initial neurological exam for you, the pre-hospital professional on the scene? So, Sajan, take us through the management of these cases. So, as always, we are going to begin with your assessment and management and your ABCs. First and foremost, we always protect the airway while considering C-spine immobilization, and we'll discuss that a little bit more here soon. And, of course, we're trying to remove or loosen any compressive items around the neck that are causing obvious injury. 
we want to make a note about C-spine immobilization. Um, there are several case reports. One specific report from France that discussed a patient having worsening neurologic status after application of the C-spine immobilization collar. And so in our system, the American Ambulance System, we actually have a C-spine consideration. It's not standard to place all of these patients in C-spine precautions. Let's go through that protocol. Um, so of course, you start with ABCs, basic airway maneuvers, pharyngeal airway or advanced airway if indicated, assist respirations and use suction is indicated. Of course, cover any open chest wounds, observe for tension pneumothorax. Um, if there's any bleeding, we're going to put direct pressure on the bleeding. Spinal mobilization we just mentioned. We're going to give the patient pain medicine and transport. Now, the special consideration for hanging is that the majority of EMS calls dealing with hanging are predominantly asphyxiation or strangulation cases. This means the patient with a mechanism of injury of hanging needs C-spine mobilization and trauma consideration. Consider traumatic reasons for a cardiac arrest, but we should remember that the main reason for them arresting is lack of blood flow and oxygen to the brain and the heart. And so we would also consider this a medical cardiac arrest impulseless. Yeah, I think that gets confusing, right? You're on the scene of a hanging. Are you calling this a stat medical or a stat trauma? And I think it's important to lean on the side of you call it a stat trauma. You're on the trauma protocol, but you are making sure you call into that hospital or team hospital to say, I have a hanging because hangings mostly are asphyxiation or strangulation, even though they attempted to hang themselves. It's very rare, like in hundreds of years ago, where it was a judicial hanging, where it's a true hanging where they had C-spine fractures. We hardly ever see that now. So it's more treated like a medical arrest, but you're still going to call it a stat trauma. I know that's very confusing. All right, let's go through our summary take-home points. Patiel. Um, well, it only takes a few seconds and a small amount of force to actually cause significant injury in the neck. Sajin. Be sure to recognize and be aware of your surroundings and be wary of domestic violence or abuse or suicidal behavior. Yeah, my take-home point is really focus on that airway and um, don't let the C-spine mobilization kind of get in your way. Um, we really want you to support that airway and um, know that a, a small amount of swelling initially can really expand um, as time goes on as you, as you transport them to the hospital. So thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. If you guys like the American Ambulance EMS podcast and you feel like this has been useful for you, please give us a five-star review on the iTunes store so that we can move up in the ratings so that uh, other uh, pre-hospital professionals can listen to us as well. Um, and we're also taking any solicitations for ideas or, or topics that you want covered, and you can email us anytime at podcast at americanambulance.com. Once again, that's podcast at americanambulance.com. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the American Ambulance EMS podcast produced by American Ambulance in Fresno, California. The views of the guests and the hosts of this show are their own and don't necessarily reflect the views of American Ambulance or UCSF Fresno. The theme song for the show is written and performed by Roshan Roach. The beats were created by Young Pear and Brett Schoenwald. And I'm John Mark Bergen, American Ambulance's media producer, saying thanks for joining us. Have a great shift and stay safe out there.